0: Well, good morning. Welcome here. My name is Luke. I get to serve as the pastor here, and uh, it's good to have you here today. Just a couple quick announcements, and then we're going to have some worship and singing. Uh, First off, just a reminder that Wednesday night has started up again. We had our first Wednesday night program this last Wednesday. A lot of fun. Um, Good food. And there's also going to be for the adults. Um, Dot is doing a a women's Bible study called Seamless. Deb is doing a a study on Genesis uh, for men and women. And uh, lots of Ecaf coffee as well, too. So I uh, just want to let you know about that. Um, and next week is our annual business meeting. And how we're going to be doing that is we'll, we'll have our Sunday service. Uh, afterwards, when we're done here, we'll just head down the hallway. We'll do a, a potluck, and then we're going to go roll right into the business meeting. And I do want to emphasize on that, that we would love for all of you to show up, okay? That is not members only. If, if you're listening to my voice right now, we would love to have you there. There are some businessy things that we'll need to, to take care of. Uh, you know, church members are going to need to vote on a few odds and ends. Um, but, but we're really wanting it to be more than just kind of a conduct-a-business meeting. My, my hope is that out of this is that everyone is, first of all, excited about what has happened in the past year and has an understanding but it, secondly, is excited about the future and where we believe God is taking us and, and what's, you know, um, excited about the next year. Um, so, yeah, we're, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that, it, that it's, um, in some ways, kind of serves as a way to kick off the, the next year. So, uh, just want to let you know that you're all invited. It would be uh, great to have you all there. And uh, typically with this crew, you know, a potluck is really a win-win. So even if you're shallow about the whole thing and just come for the food, I'm okay with that. But just so you know that that is next weekend. Let's do a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, another good day. Thank you for uh, your grace and for your beauty, for your mercy. God, thank you that uh, you never abandon us, um, that you love us, that you desire good things for us. God, and that you are for us. Lord, I pray that we would uh, always find our identity in you, and that our lives would be marked by how you view us, Lord, and not how the world views us. We love you, and we worship you. Amen.
1: First Peter 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that stuck out to me this week as I was reading 1 Peter, that Jesus is a living hope. Our hope is not placed in something that's going to fade or perish, but it's placed in a person. And it's placed in God, and it's in Jesus. He never fails us. He never leaves us. He is God, and we have a living hope. So let's stand and worship. Jesus, our living hope, worship you. You are our source of hope and joy and life. We want you just to be seen in our lives wherever we go. You're a consuming fire so we ask you to consume us as individuals and as a church, as a family. Every eye will see you.
2: Double. me. Mm-hmm.
1: be our vision, whatever happens in our lives, Lord, we want to keep our eyes on you, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.
0: In our Sunday school class, we were reflecting on where were you when September 11 happened. Today marks the 15th anniversary of that. Uh, it's kind of interesting. You don't have to say what happened. You just have to say September 11 or 9-11 and and people know exactly uh, what you're talking about. But as we enter into a a time of prayer, I'll give you guys a a few minutes to to pray quietly by yourself and then I will conclude our prayer. But, you know, not only were a lot of families directly uh, affected by what happened at 9-11, but over the past 15 years, other families as well, too, um, that, yeah, as a result of that, and not just families here in the U.S. and in North America, but, but internationally as well, too, and we can talk about peace and reconciliation and getting along, but, but my firm belief is that until an individual has peace with God, they'll never truly be able to understand how to have peace with others. And so that's why it's so important that we be the church and that we do what we do. Um, because if we do want peace and healing and, and reconciliation in this world, uh, it needs to come through through Christ, and that's going to be spread through the church. So let's have a, a few moments of prayer. and um, just you know, I'll just give you a couple minutes, and just whatever it is that's, that's just on your heart, I, I encourage you to just bring that before the Lord. Maybe it's just something distracting. Maybe it's something that's very heavy and burdensome. Just take a few minutes to give that to the Lord, um, and then uh, I'll conclude us in prayer. Brought something before you this morning, Lord. Thank you that you receive it. Thank you that we can lay it at your feet. God, for some, perhaps it's an element of joy. For some, perhaps an element of pain. Perhaps an element of sin. Perhaps an element of suffering. Good to us, Lord. It is in you that we find the truest definition and an expression of, of what it means to be a good, good father, Lord. We pray for our country. Much tension and violence and anger. Lord, true peace is only found in you. God, that starts those we individually are at peace with you. So, God, we want to be at peace with you this morning, whatever that. that peace. Lord, I pray that for each of us, you would bring to mind one person. Bring to mind one person this morning, Lord. Lord, we want to commit to sometime this week, helping that person in their journey of finding peace with you. Thank you for an exciting future and the opportunity to be a part of that.
3: take a a few minutes here to dedicate our school kits that we had the kids pack last week and I didn't warn the kids but I'd love for all of you to come forward and we're going to just pray over them so I'd love for kids age two to all the way through high school to come on up and we're going to grab some of these Um, Brandon and Ryan can I have you guys bring these two boxes up let's put them up here in the middle and then kids, you can grab one or two school kits and hold them because these kits are going to be sent to kids in other countries. And it's really cool if we can pray over them. Just put them here, and they can take two out and hold them while I pray over them. Awesome. Come on forward. Great. And you can just maybe those can be left, or you can stick those here. Yeah. Just take one or two and hold it. And we're going to kind of pray over them, okay? Just stand up here. You guys get one? Get a chance to hold on. If you have one, go ahead and just take it and step aside so somebody else can get one. Yep. There you go. Okay. Got one, Josh? Oh, there's some more right over here. This is great. Okay. Last week, a lot of the kids were gone, but those who were here, we helped pack these and For all of you that brought supplies, and for Dot and Jean for making all the bags, we thank you so much. We had fun putting them together. Um, Let's see. Anybody that was here, do you remember what we put in these bags? Owen, do you remember? Name a couple things. Okay, spiral notebooks, pencils. Kate, what else did we put in? a ruler, colored pencils, and a large eraser. So those were all packed in a very specific way, and they got stuck in them. And we, um, I looked on the MCC school kit website, and they said that last year, 90,000 of these kits were sent to countries like Jordan, Syria, Bosnia, Haiti, Honduras, Lebanon, and some other countries. So that's pretty cool that we have a small amount that we're going to send along to those countries. And these kits are sent to kids that might not be able to afford basic school supplies. And they said that they're also sent to families who maybe um, have had a disaster and have had to flee their country or go to somewhere else. And it kind of brings a sense of normal life to those kids to get school supplies, right? It just kind of feels normal, so they give these to those families. So um, I want you to hold your kit, and we're going to pray over them. And you can just imagine that somebody in another country is going to receive these someday, okay? Dear Jesus, thank you so much for this chance to give um, a little bit of the blessings that you've given us. And we pray for these kids as they go to another country, that they will be a blessing to the children and families there. We pray that your presence would go with them and that these children would hear about you and and how they that you can change their lives as well. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, thanks, kids. Go ahead and just put them back in the bag.
2: Might need your help.
0: I was in high school, um, for three summers, I worked at a Boy Scout camp in New Mexico called Philmont, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I had gone there as a camper uh, with, with the scouts, and then I uh, was able to go back and, and work on staff for a couple different summers. Philmont is located in the northeast corner of New Mexico. Um, it is a very large camp. It's 140,180 square acres, which comes out to 220 square miles. And over a summer, they will have 22,000-plus campers, just campers, come through Philmont. So it is the largest youth camp in the world. Um, I worked in with the ranger department. So we had a summer staff of uh, about 220. Their summer staff was about 770 people. Uh, and then they had a permanent staff of, of I think, about uh, 50 or so. Um, Philmont, the, um, the very first picture, these are just... Pictures of other people I found on the internet. I Don't look for me in these. I'm not in these. Um, this is actually base camp, uh, where everyone shows up and leaves and that kind of thing. Um, every day in base camp, 350 people will arrive for their trek. They have about an 11-day backpacking, hiking trek. There's different staff camps. So every day, 350 people arrive. Uh, they'll spend the night, uh, and then they'll head out on the trail. And then after their 12 days, they come back to base camp, spend one night, and then head home. So every day... 350 people arrive to camp. Every day, 350 people leave for the trail. Every day, 350 people arrive back into base camp, and then 300 people head home. So there's a shift of 1,400 people every day uh, in base camp. They have their own fire department. Their medical lodge is medical students running around acting as medics. They have doctors down there on vacation, you know, so that you have those people. And uh, their logistics department is amazing. They, they keep track of all these different kids, right? Because at any given time, you have about 3,500 campers, just campers, who are on the move in the backcountry. There's 35 staffed backcountry camps. Uh, some of them are interpretive, so they're, like, dressed apart, and some of them are other stuff. I mean, it's, I think there's, like, three rock climbing camps. There's a, a mountain biking. There's fly fishing. Like, your summer job is I'm just going to fly fish. Like what do you do for vacation, when your job is fly fishing? Like, I mean, how do you? Uh, I just need to relax. I'm gonna, whatever. So, um, so anyway, so that so got to work there. There what? Um, this is not related to anything. It's just an amusing story. Um, I was helping one summer though with medical rechecks, right? Because every kid has to get checked out. And, and so you come in, and, and you look over the, the, the medical form, and if there's anything suspicious at all, you just send them over to the health lodge to let the professionals deal with it. I mean, if a kid has asthma or anything like that, like, you just send them over, like, just the slightest little deal. And uh, this one kid comes in, and he had his, you know, he said, well, I've, uh, you know, I, have, I have to have an inhaler. And I'm like, oh, well, you, you know, you have to go over and get checked out at, at the med lodge. And he got this exasperated look on his face. He's like, oh, but it, I, like, I haven't had a problem with asthma since my lung collapsed. I was like, what? You know, and like I flip it over and it's like left lung collapsed and whatever. You know, and I was like, no, you're going to the health lodge. Like that doesn't get you out of this. Um, collapsed left lung is is that's you're, you're going. So that wasn't related to anything. But um, but while I was there, uh, you know, uh, working at the camp. So I worked in the, the ranger department. Um, This was my, found this in the the archives this morning Uh, This was my map that I always carried with me, this was the overall map Uh, You can't see it from back there, there's kind of a faint red line uh, That encompasses the border of the camp, and if you look close it kind of looks like Snoopy or or something like that actually, Uh, and everything's tagged for like uh, Staff camps or drop off points or or that kind of thing And then on the back, you know, we've got our emergency procedures and how to register pain, and, and that kind of thing. Because if some kid gets hurt, like you're looking at a two-hour minimum, you know, before they actually get to, to a health lodge, because you have to assess the situation, and then they have to come out in suburbans, and if they're off trail and they need to get carried off, and now you're carrying them down the trail for a couple miles or ten miles or whatever, that kind of thing. And it, I don't know, it's probably tough to see back there, but each one of these little squares is actually a square kilometer. And there's... um. And there's all kinds of actually information. I mean, it's a topo map, so you can look at the lines, and if the lines are close together, then that's steep terrain. If the lines form like a V, then that's like a gully or ravine. Anything blue is water. Anything black is uh, man-made. The color indicates vegetation. Solid green is over six feet. White is less than three feet. Sometimes you'll see like a mix. So that's um, three to six feet. And, uh, and also, a lot of the topo mines ha- have uh, elevation marks on them, so you can get a feel for that. So, I mean, if you really learn to, to read the map well, you can really kind of understand the train and what to expect and that kind of thing. But, uh, of course, with this, I mean, you always really kind of needed a, a compass to, to go along with it. And uh, this one doesn't have as detail as much detail. You would actually uh, get other maps that, that would zoom in, but... You know, you get your compass. This is a very uh, simple compass. They make all different kinds for different purposes. And, um, but you would, you know, you would get it on here and you would figure out kind of which way north is and then which way you want to go. And you always had to figure for magnetic north and true north because the magnetic north pole is not at the north pole, right? The, the magnetic north is actually off. And so I, I think our declination was about 14 degrees. So if you don't figure for that, like that's a bit of a problem. And, of course, that variance changes depending on where you're at in the world. Um, I mean, if you're perfectly lined up, then, you know, the two would line up. But, but if you're off, then you need to kind of adjust your compass to get your map laid out, and then you can figure out what direction it is or where the trailhead is and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and you know, the, the, the maps are, are hugely important. I mean, you, you, you have to have the map. But at the same time, if, if you don't have a compass to be able to figure it out, the, the maps really aren't that helpful. I mean, sometimes you can figure out the, the the orientation of the map by the lay of the land, but it's a pretty difficult thing to do. And and, and so, you know, to, to, to be able to have a, a compass. And and compass is, is huge. I mean, this is, like every survival book that you find will have different information on it on how to tr- figure out which way is north, south, east, west. Um, you know, you take a, a needle and, and you rub it on certain kinds of fabric. It gets magnetized. You can... Float it on a leaf in some water. You can figure out magnetic north that way. Uh, you take a stick. You stick it in the ground at a certain angle so that there's no shadow. You wait 15, 20 minutes. It starts to develop a shadow, and you can figure out which way the sun is moving. You can figure out north, south, east, and west. Um, the, the guys on the wagon train, you wait for the north, the, the north star to come out, and then you take the tongue of the wagon, and you point it towards the north star, and then in the morning, you remember that way is, is north. And so there's all different ways to figure it out. There's even, if, if you have kind of the, uh, not a digital watch, but the traditional watch, there, there's ways to figure that out. If, if I remember correctly, you point the hour hand at the sun, and then halfway between noon and the hour hand, I think, is south. But it's different for the southern hemisphere. So if you're lost in Argentina, you're going to need a different technique than, than if you're lost in Henderson. So um, just kind of that. Um, so it... Being able to, 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 to identify direction and, and where you're at. Because here's the thing, because if, if you can't identify where you're at, and if you can't identify where it is that you want to go when you're out in the woods, I mean, really, you're just, you're either waiting for someone else to show up, or, or you're just a dead man. Because you're just, you're waiting for the elements or the cougars or, or something like that, you know, or the black bears to eat you. Like, you can't, you, you have to have clarity on where it is that you're at, and you have to have clarity on where it is that you're going. Because if you don't have that, one, not only are things are not looking good for you, but heaven forbid you're responsible for other people, they're in the same faith that you are. Right? I mean, you're just all just kind of sitting around till your food is gone kind of type thing. And that is why uh, myself and the leadership board have spent really almost about three years just, you know, prayerfully asking and researching and studying, Lord, what is our direction as a church? Like, where is it that, that you want us to go? What is our compass heading? You know, because we don't want to just sit here until our food runs out. Like, like what's, our, what's our direction? What's our destination? Where do we go from here? What, what's our purpose? And so we've been working on that for, for the last couple of years. We covered some of this last week. We'll do kind of a, we'll review that a little bit and, and then we'll, we'll finish it out. Well, with this kind of question, really you have to start at the global level. Like, why did Jesus create the church? You know, like, why why is there a church at all? Like, like what is the, the, the purpose of that? Our confession of faith actually answers that for us, so that was kind of easy. But at the global level, we believe that, that the church is for the purpose of the great commandment and the great commission. Great commission being, you know, go make disciples of all nations. And as you're going, you know, or as you're making disciples, you know, baptizing and teaching and that kind of thing. And then, great commandment. First of all, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. So, so kind of at, at the at the global level. Um, within this, there there's a lot of different things to talk about. You know, mission, vision, strategic plan, values. We talked a little bit about um, values. We, we use the analogy of going on a, on a road trip with other family with other families. Let's say you all wanted to go to Disney World. You know, eventually you realize that someone likes to drive nonstop and someone stops all the time and someone spends a lot and someone's really frugal. And it's not that anyone is either righteous or sinful, it's just how you vacation, right? And so it's very helpful for the two families to talk beforehand and say, you know, well, we like to stop every two hours and, and, and we always stay at Motel 8s or we camp out or that. You know, there's just its values on, on how you get from A to B, even though you do have that common destination so mission vision they answer the, the why question the strategic plan uh, that ha- answers the how um, values you know what practices are important to us what we're going over today kind of dabbles in both the what and the why and uh, so so uh, yeah so there's more work to do on that but this is this is kind of phase one um, there's a lot of value in having a very clear Uh, mission statement or vision statement. First off being is is that it really does clarify our direction and and purpose. You know, we only have so many hours in a day. We only have, you know, so many resources, only so many volunteers, only so much skill set, space, that kind of thing. Uh, So what is it that that we want to, to accomplish? You know, if I were to ask all of you to write down on a piece of paper what is the purpose of Henderson M.B., if you were to all write the same thing, that would be unlikely, but also really healthy because we know that we're going in the same direction. But if everyone writes down, you know, what is the purpose of Henderson and B and everyone writes a different answer, that's actually pretty problematic because it means that we're all trying to walk in a different direction. I, I mean, you know, we just finished the Olympics with the rowers, right? And if, and if you've seen the rowers, right, I mean, they always paddle very synchronized, like in the same time and, and that kind of thing. And that's because to get there faster, everyone rose at a synchronized pace. You know, you don't just have eight people just splashing like crazy in the water. Like you're just you're going to spin in circles and you're going to get really frustrated with one another. You know, it's not because someone's being immoral. It's just you're all trying to go in, in different directions. So, um, so, so understanding uh, understanding that, and, and and understanding it also really helps us to say, hey, what ministry should we engage in, and also what once in a lifetime opportunities do we walk away from because they don't align with the direction that we want to go right just because something is a once in a lifetime opportunity doesn't mean that you should do it okay there's lots of once in a lifetime opportunities that are dumb opportunities that you should not be engaging in right insert prison time or something like that so um once in a lifetime opportunities the other thing is that it gives us a, a measuring rod for success I mean, once again, if I were to ask all of you, write down on a piece of paper, "Is our church successful?" I mean, just think about that for a moment. Is our church successful? Yes or no, but why? Like, like on, on what basis are you measuring success? And once again, to the extent that we all have different answers on is our what is success look like, we're all kind of walking in different directions. And this is also, too, where, where both pastors and leadership um, can kind of get in a tight bond or, you know, just a tight space because people are coming up and they're saying, you know, pastor, church leadership, you know, we're, you're not visiting enough people. You're, you're not doing enough sermon prep. You're, you're not in the office enough. You're not out of the office enough. You know, we're not doing enough missions. We're not doing enough local stuff, you know. So, yes, no, like, like how, do we, how do we measure success? And it's very easy that you, you end up with a lot of unmet expectations and you just kind of end up playing whack-a-mole on on kind of the most recently uh, disgruntled person. So um, to have clarity on, to have a measuring rod for success, you can say, yeah, we do need to more do more of that, or nope, that's, that's not part of ours. Um, also, a good mission or vision statement really provides inspiration. You know, the well-worded ones, like the really good ones, like... You just want to drop everything and give your whole life to that. You know, you're like, yes, yes, that is so good. Uh, And this is really where wording is is super important. I mean, there's kind of what is the concept, what is it that we're trying to accomplish, but then how do we word it? Uh, Bill Hybels, in one of his books, was writing, you know, as a church, they wanted to do uh, three things that they wanted to highlight for that year. One of them was evangelism. One of them was, I, I forget the third one, and the second one was um, uh, something with, like, kind of, like, community uh, generosity, community aid, that kind of thing. So they, they identified the concept, but then how do we word it? Because he didn't just get up there and say, hey, people, we need to evangelize more, right? Like, you know, that's not really inspirational. So they said, we need to raise the risk in our conversations. Ooh, that is so good. Like, you can sink your teeth into that, Right? I mean not only does it address your fear but your response to the fear you know with with their with their community involvement rather than just say hey you know we we need to give more to community stuff they said we want to unleash unprecedented amounts in our community right such such good wording good mission vision statements are very inspirational and also clarity on day to day decisions and and this kind of ties in with purpose and direction but it is amazing how many day to day decisions are so much easier to decide when you understand at the thirty thousand foot level. Hey, this is the direction we're going. You know, uh, I mean, just yeah, all kinds of stuff. So, day to day decisions. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen in the King James version, where the people, where there is no vision, the people perish. Uh, the ESV reads, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. When you don't have clarity around this, a common mission, vision, um, everyone really just kind of does their own thing. E- everyone's rowing at different paces, different directions uh, separately. Everyone is trying to achieve something separately. And the end is that we really don't achieve that much, and we really get frustrated with each other. Right. So just have clarity on that. No vision means that, that we get focused on methods, Rather than results. If I walk into my office for five years, I flip on the light switch, the lights come on. Then one day I come in, I flip the switch, nothing happens. I go, oh, this worked last time, and I try again. No, this worked for five years, I'm going to try again. You know, and I could sit there for like three days, flipping light switch, and eventually you're going to call me a crazy person, rightfully so. But understanding mission vision says... You know, the light switch was a means to an end. What we're about is like we want light in the room so we can work. So if we need a different strategic plan on how we get there, like if we need to light a candle or fire up a generator or replace the light bulb, like whatever, that's fine. But 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 we're not about the method of flipping light switch. We're we're about the goal of having a, a well lit room. And I know the light switch thing sounds silly, but I mean, seriously evaluate how many churches do this all the time with different ministries, you know? Look, I know it hasn't worked for like 10 years, but it worked for 40 years before that. We just gotta give it two more years, you know? A little bit hilarious. Maybe not always, but sometimes. First part, we talked about this last week. Grow disciples. After Jesus was baptized, he started doing ministry. First thing he did... Was he called people to himself, and he started to mentor them and train them? We called them disciples. One of Jesus's last commands before he ascended into the earth, uh, before he ascended into heaven was, "Go make disciples." So he started with calling disciples amongst him to himself, and he ended by saying, "All right, now you guys go do likewise." And it always discipleship is always about the person, um, and, and their relationship to God. And you know the we have really worked to define disciple over these last several weeks. I mean, we recognize that the word disciple is a, it, I mean, it's a Christianese word. You know, I mean, it's something that we use within Christendom. So it's important that we define it and, and understand what it is. Um, but it's it, but at the same time, it's probably one of the most concise, distinct, compact, simplified ways to say, hey, this is what success looks like to to be a Christian. And it's also one of the most remarkable ways to compliment someone. You know, oh, man, what, you know, what, a, what a great disciple that person is. Like, you recognize that that, that compliment is a, is a thing of honor. So not only do we grow as disciples, but we help others grow as disciples. It's both something that we experience and something that we assist others in. In fact, I would even push a little bit and say, if you aren't growing as a disciple you're really not going to be able to help others grow as a disciple. Because your ministry to others is actually a direct outflow of your relationship with Jesus Christ. So that, that more than any other aspect of your life, more than education, more than training, your personal relationship with the Lord will be the number one determining factor on you ministering and, and engaging with others. Grow is something that takes time. Uh, it can't really be mass-produced. It's something that implies good health um, and time. That's, the word grow actually probably frustrates me more than other words. Because I'm like, oh, that just sounds so long. But, but it needs to be long to be well done. So the first thing we want to do is grow disciples. Uh, next thing that to happen is multiply churches. Disciples are not meant to live and work in isolation. They need community and team and, and collaboration. Uh, not just buildings, but but clusters of community. Uh, and, it, and it's important that our, our, our focus extend beyond Henderson. I mean, this has always been a priority of, of Henderson and B. The, the multiply churches things, there's actually a lot of options with this one. There's, there's kind of a, a spectrum of options. And we're, we're not going to do anything drastic. But, um, at least not for the first year. We're going to take a year to just kind of think, pray, research this one. On one end of what does it mean to multiply churches, we could give money to missionaries and pray for them. And that'd be very nice and sweet, and we should continue to do that. Sort of on the next level over, as we give money and we pray for them, but we also visit them on occasion to understand and learn from them and that kind of thing, which is also, I mean, that's kind of where we're at now. On the extreme, you have what all of our forefathers did at Henderson-NB. They called them station churches. And they basically set up satellite campuses in surrounding communities. Uh, Sutton, Hastings, Culbertson. Did you know Culbertson is three hours away by car, like when you're driving 75 miles an hour? Like measure that by horseback someday and get back to me. I want to know how long, like a buggy ride that is. Um, El Dorado. Other extension. I mean, they, they also did stuff in Lincoln, Minneapolis, Winnipeg. So I we there, there's a lot of options on, on kind of what that means. We're just going to take a year to kind of pray and research that and, and that kind of thing. Um, but really, the the driving question around multiply questions uh, around multiply churches, I think, is to what extent are we willing to say we want to pursue rural Nebraska with the gospel frankly, people, no one else is. They, I'm not aware of any church planning organization where they're saying rural Nebraska, you know, like our number one priority. Like, no one, no one is doing that. And all across the Midwest, we've got a lot of small towns with churches that are shutting down. And so you have people or communities of people that don't have an opportunity to hear the gospel and for us to ask to what extent are we going to say here am i lord send me so it's kind of a big thing we 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 don't want to just kind of jump into this and it's not really something you dabble in right it's kind of like skydiving like you're committed either you are or you aren't you don't kind of like kind of skydive right like you're in the plane or you're out of the plane okay like those are your options so that's so so multiply churches um yeah, So that's kind of what we went over last week Grow disciples, multiply churches But what kind of disciples And, and, and what kind of churches Matthew twenty two thirty four. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced The Sadducees, they gathered together One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question To test him, Teacher, what is a great commandment In the law? And he said to him You shall love the Lord your God With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind This is the greatest and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depends all the law and the prophets. To say glorify God and transform communities is simply to take the first two commandments and use some contemporary language to describe them. We we wrestled with glorify. I mean, why not just say love God? I mean, we wrestled with what about Love Jesus, hear Jesus, obey Jesus, obey God, love God, all these different things. But we kept coming back to glorify. Because I believe that glorify really encompasses all these other things as well, too. Glorify encompasses worship. It encompasses love. It encompasses adoration. It was uh, very interesting to to study the the word glorify. In... um, In Scripture you see, time and time again, that when man experiences God, man glorifies God. Uh, Luke 2.20, the shepherds are visited by angels, they go visit baby Jesus. After they visit baby Jesus, they returned, glorifying and praising God. Jesus heals a paralytic. You, you might remember this story. The guy is crippled. His friends lower him through a roof in the house. Uh, that gets shared in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, uh, Mark reads it like this. He rose immediately. So this is the crippled dude. Uh, rose from his bed, walked out before all of them. They were all amazed and glorified God. Jesus returns from his 40 days in the desert. He starts teaching. The response is, he taught, and then it says that he was glorified by all. Uh, Jesus, there's a widow. Her son has died. Jesus shows up, crashes this funeral party. This widow, he raises her son from the dead in front of everyone. And the response from the crowd is, one, fear sees them all, and they glorified God. Um, Jesus uh, he heals a woman. Uh, she had been disa- she had a disabling spirit for eighteen years. She was bent over. She could not fully straighten up. Jesus shows up, heals her, says you're free. He laid hands on her. She was made straight. And okay, because by now you figured this out, glorified God. Jesus heals a blind man. He receives his sight. He recovered his sight. and he followed him. Glorifying God. Time and time again, when people encounter Jesus, when people encounter God, the response is, they glorify God. Folks, as we encounter Jesus, as we encounter the Lord, we will glorify God. We worship Him, we honor Him, we praise Him, we admire Him. But that's not just something we want for ourselves. That's something that we want our families to experience and our communities to experience and churches to to experience. The Westminster Catechism asks the question, it says, what is the chief end of man? I really like their response. They say, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So glorify God. We, I mean, can you tell we just stole this from, from the great commandment, love the Lord your God? Okay. Uh, first part, glorify God. Second part, transform communities. You also know we went plural. We didn't go singular. Transform communities. Not just community. Okay? There's importance in the IES. When when a church enters a community, you should see transformation. You should see peace increase. You should see crime decrease. Poverty decrease. Healthy marriages, healthy families, increase. I mean, if a church moves into a community or exists in a community, and you do not see those things, I mean, really, is the church doing a good job? I mean, if you could really press the point that that perhaps they're not being that effective, it was. uh, it, it was amazing to, to me to, to look into this. Everybody's wanting to transform community. Like this, is, like this, this phrase is actually a, like a really, a, a bit of a buzzword. Um, you know, you have food and housing for the homeless. You have um, programs that are geared towards justice, equality, safety, spiritual formation later, uh, spiritual formation of leaders, um, even midnight basketball. Some of you might remember midnight basketball. That was an attempt to transform community. Um, I found articles on how painting can transform community. Libraries can transform communities. Community gardens. I found an article by UNICEF on toilets transforming community in rural Angola. If the toilet can do it, we can do it. All right? Maybe that should be our motto. If the toilet can do it, we can do it. Okay? The CDC, Center for Disease Control offers millions of dollars in grants if you can say we will transform communities in one of these five different areas. Center for Disease Control, researching diseases for some reason, is also shelling out millions of dollars. Maybe this is why we're broke. I'm not sure. Shelling out millions of dollars on this phrase, transform communities. I believe that when it comes to to transforming communities, there's kind of two steps or two aspects. First priority, I think you have to start with the individual within the community, right? Because a community is made of individuals. Okay, we're tracking with me. So so there is that personal transformation that, that needs to happen. But secondly, you may need to go after some external forces that are exerting influence in that community. Maybe there's a lot of drug trafficking. Maybe there's a, a lot of racism. Maybe there's some kind of oppression. Maybe there's some kind of injustice happening. It, it, it's it, it's a two-fold approach. Not only the individual within, but what kind of external influences are also a part of this. I, I think, though, transforming community is, is a really exciting word because because this is, yeah, let's be involved in the local school. Yeah, let's have someone uh, involved in the Chamber of Commerce. Let's, let's organize to, to pick up Trash, You know, we'll just have trash days, and we'll go around and and pick up garbage. I mean, Henderson doesn't have a lot, but maybe we can find some. You know, some garbage, Uh, house rental projects for single moms, becoming foster parents, adopting children. There is so much exciting stuff that you can put under the banner of transforming communities. And, And, folks, we're already in the community. That's not hard, right? I mean, you know other people, so that means you're in community. Really, the question is not, you know, whether or not you're in community. The question is simply, are you influencing the community or is the community influencing you? So let me offer just one word of caution, though, on the the transforming community thing and on this relationship between love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Because I think what is happening is a lot of Christians are inverting those two commands and getting drastically different results, folks. You get very, you come to very different conclusions based on whether or not you start with love the Lord, and secondly, love people, or if you reverse it and say love people and then secondly, love the Lord. This applies to any contemporary debate, whether it's bathrooms at Target, Syrian refugees, homosexual marriage, whatever. This this applies to this. Take for example traditional. Uh, one man, one woman, marriage versus pretty much all the other options. I mean, it can be an affair. It can be gay marriage. I mean, even to extremes like uh, pedophiles, okay? So, so, so these are kind of two things. If my first goal, track with me here, if my first goal is to love people, then I start with how do I show love to these people? How do I honor them? How do I make them happy? How do I m- uh, help them feel loved? And my likely conclusion is to encourage them to engage in a loving relationship, really with whoever makes them happy, so long as it's mutual. But it can be man, woman, married, unmarried, etc. But I, I desire kind of their happiness and their contentment above all else. And I will likely find myself actually endorsing a lot of sinful behavior, but yet it all stems out of a love for the person and loving people. Loving people is used to justify all kinds of stuff, right? But, if I switch that, track with me here, if my first goal is to love the Lord my God first, then I start with, okay, what kind of relationship is most honoring to God, brings glory to God? So I go to Scripture, I study the the, the heart of God, and my conclusion is not only, you know, the, the one man, one woman married, but, but it's actually a lot more, because now I conclude... You know, a situation where a man loves and supports and leads his family well and loves his family and provides for them and and teaches them about Jesus and is kind and generous and compassionate with them. And and, and just, you know, he he invests in his whole family and where the wife loves and supports her husband and speaks well of his strengths and, and works with her husband to disciple their kids to love and follow Jesus. See, I mean, it's a very simple thing, but but when you go down the trails, you end up in drastically different locations. Whether or not you start with we love God, and then secondly we love people, or we start with we love people and then secondly we we love God. We have to prioritize one because we acknowledge that at times one of them will get offended. So do we love people and, and occasionally offend God? Or do we love God and occasionally offend people? You, you tracking with me? This is why we start with, and I believe this is why Jesus said, the first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second is to like it, love others as yourself. But this is why we start with glorify God, and then we go to transform community. Because if we do not understand, glorify God, we will arrive at an inaccurate conclusion on what it means to transform community and what healthy community looks like. We live in a town of about a thousand people. When we were doing the, the door-to-door kind of cookie handout thing, say, here's some great baking, you know, come, come to our, our event. I would say about one in four homes, someone answered the door. Meaning that even in Henderson, about one in four families will have a family that doesn't have a church home. Now, I don't. Maybe they do have a church background. Maybe yes. Maybe no. I'm not sure. But but likely they they don't. They haven't found a, a church home because we always did these during Sunday school because, right? All the church people are at church. York County, thirteen thousand eight hundred people, roughly twenty churches assuming all 20 churches are healthy and, and, and well-based and, and love Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God and, and follow Scripture, that kind of thing, then every church has a responsibility for 690 people, just for York County. So, And that's assuming all 20 are really healthy. So we, we have some work to do. Because, that, I mean, we're in the corner of York County. I mean, that's really, we could go west, we could go south. One kind of uh, couple of encouraging words um, on this. You know, we were talking through this, and we were really liking the making disciples and the multiplying churches. And then, uh, at, at one of our more recent leadership meetings, someone goes, yeah, "But what about leadership development? Like, we really need, you know, to, to figure out how to develop leaders in this as well." And I was like, "Yeah, we do," and you know, so we're, we still need to figure out where that kind of plugs in, but but recognizing that that's a priority. I kid you not, you know, like a month later, uh, you know, we. We go to the the national conference, and they unroll their their, their new vision that they've been working on for the last two years, kind of behind closed doors on what's going to be the new emphasis and the new focus for Mennonite brethren all across the U.S. You know what three things they came up with? We want to multiply disciples, or make disciples. We want to do church planning, multiply churches, and we want to develop leaders. Pretty much the exact same thing that, that we came up with locally they came up with at at a national level, so there's some some neat stuff going on there. Also, um, you know, folks, th- th- this whole thing, growing disciples, multiplying churches, who glorify God, transform communities. There, this is nothing new. Okay, I did not get clarity on this until until I really read up on our history. Not like recent history, like 50 years, like founding history, like 140 years. Say, what was this church founded on? What we've been covering the last two days is, is nothing new. It's simply a return to, to what this place was founded on at the very beginning. So, I mean, so if we have prayerfully considered it and talked through this, engaged in this. You know, this isn't, hey, should we try a new thing? This is, hey, should we, like, return to our roots for, for that thing that that, that, we were, that we were founded on? I'm not advocating that that we take a a new course. I'm advocating that we simply fan into flame the original vision that was laid 140 years ago. We're going to, you know, the people of 2016 will require 2016 strategies and maybe some 2016 wording, but conceptually, it's all just the same. Jesus, uh, at one point, gave the parable of the talents. You might remember this. So with the parable of the talents, there's a, Uh, the boss, the guy in charge, and he has three servants, he's going on a long trip. He gives each of them a little bit of cash. Uh, Talent was a a measure of money. I think one got one talent. I don't know what that equates to today. Uh, One talent, another one got two talents, another one got four talents. He leaves on a long journey. Business trip, whatever. He comes back after X amount of time and he says, so what would you do with the money that I left you? Uh, The guy with four talents said I invested it, I did really well, I doubled it, here's the four talents. Here's four more talents. The next guy said, you entrusted me with two. I invested it. I, I did well with it. Here's the other two talents. The guy with one talent said, um, you intimidate me. I buried it. And here's your one talent back. And then, and so then he gets mad and he chews out the one talent guy and rewards the other ones. And that's kind of Luke's cliff notes with a lot of contemporary language. Um, there are actually... If you look at Scripture, it really appears that there are actually two judgments that wait for us. One is a salvation judgment, kind of a whether or not you get in the door of heaven type thing. Are you saved? Lamb's book of life, that kind of thing. Most people are pretty familiar with with that one. The other judgment, sometimes called uh, uh, the Bema judgment or the judgment seat of Christ, from what we can gather, is basically an award ceremony. I mean, this is after the first judgment has happened, sort of who's in the door, who's out of the door. Then the second one is basically an award ceremony for what did you do with what I entrusted to your care while I was gone. I, I gave you uh, certain talents, not, not money, but like skill sets. I gave you certain opportunities. I gave you certain heritage. I gave you certain spiritual gifts and then we are rewarded based on our stewardship of all of those resources. And so I believe that all of us are going to stand before the Lord and he's going to say, I gave you two talents. What'd you do with it? I gave you four talents. What'd you do with it? I gave you one talent. I You got like half a talent. Uh, you got, you get three talents. I mean, over and over and over again, every Christian in the history of mankind I gave you X, what did you do with it? Here's your reward. We've got almost 14,000 people just in our county. I mean, in a hundred mile radius, we've got, I don't know how many. We have, I mean, our own families, our own community. We're all embedded in a community. You know, maybe it's here, maybe it's Aurora, maybe it's Sutton, but, but we, you know, we have our groups of friends. All these people deserve a clear presentation of the gospel. All these people deserve a chance to join in community. All these people, you know, deserve to be offered a chance to be part of something eternal. All these people deserve a chance to to be offered living to the full, not just in heaven, but here on earth. I mean, what does it mean to live life to the full here on earth? And do you really want to stand before the judge with the entire history of the church to your back and God to your front and say, you know, yeah, I know I lived amongst them for a couple decades, but I just really kind of chose to withhold those opportunities. Like seriously, who wants to have that conversation? Everything we have received from Christ was meant to be given away. Everything. And I believe that it actually multiplies as we give it away. As we give away friendship, as we give away grace, as we give away joy, love, mercy, even financial resources, friendship, hospitality. I believe it all multiplies as we give away. Everything we have received from Christ was meant to be given away. Nothing was meant to be hoarded for ourselves. Grow disciples and multiply churches who glorify God and transform communities. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we believe that, that this is our compass heading from you. There's more work to be done on figuring out exactly how this looks like, what the details are associated with this. But for right now, Lord, we, we, we have a sense that you are saying walk in this direction. And, and, and this, this is your, your destination. This is part of the, the why and, and, and the what. And Lord, we want to be found faithful in what it is that you have entrusted to our care. And God, this is exciting stuff. This is not heavy, burdensome, crushing things. These are fun things. These are joy-filled things. These are life-giving things. These are exciting things. Lord, Lord, what more glorious thing on earth could there be than, than, than adoring You, than, than loving on people and, and helping them experience life to the full, to, to grow individually, to help others grow, to, to see groups of community grow. God, th- this isn't a burden, this is a gift. that You allow us to participate with You to see these kinds of things? thank you, thank you, thank you. God, I, I pray for all those here that they would have a great week. Lord, as we move forward as a church that you would continue to show us what does this look like? How do we flesh this out? What does this look like in detail? pray for lots of good conversation, inspiration from you, Lord. And as we've said, God, we want to be found faithful for all that you entrusted to our care. We love you so much. Amen.
1: Please stand with us. will you